people will criticize us. But most criticism, as I said, it's, it, you know, when you're criticized, it's either clearly constructive and helpful, or it's coming from a place of the other person's pain or insecurity. So a bit of an obscure Catholic historical fact is that, you know, the doctrine of papal infallibility, if you know what that is, was formally established at the First Vatican Council. But they're just finding out that actually it was it was in existence in the very beginning of the church with St. Peter. Like Saint, when St. Peter was pope, they believed in papal infallibility. They just called it something different. Simon says... Hey everybody, welcome to episode 175. So great to be back with you. We start every episode with a dad joke. I hope that brought you joy. If you're a first-time listener, please make sure to rate and review this podcast. It helps other people discover it. And if you share this podcast with others, it's the highest compliment you can pay us, by the way. Please make sure you do so on social media. Tag us at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram. And you can find all of our social media handles, details. Contact us on our website, manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com. While you're there, Click on the subscribe button and you can get our weekly Psalm Reflection emailed to you every Wednesday morning. And if you feel so inclined, click on the give button if you'd like to become a patron to this podcast and contribute as little as $1 a month to cover the hosting fees and publishing fees for uh, the podcast as well as all the emailing services and stuff like that. All does cost money. So we really appreciate all of you who patronize this podcast and uh, all of you who listen. So without further ado, let's get into our joy junk and Jesus for this week. So Man, it has been an eventful week. Um, my joy, a lot of joy, my wife and I had our 10-year wedding anniversary. We celebrated it with a kind of half week away, just the two of us. And we started that with a, going to see Taylor Swift. My wife is a huge fan of Taylor Swift. I appreciate her. Um, and the concert was a, a a very loud cultural experience, I'll say that. But it was very impressive to see the production and the fact that Taylor Swift could perform for nearly four hours nonstop and I couldn't stand for four hours nonstop without sitting uh, was amazing. So uh, so that was amazing. We did some some awesome things in L.A. We toured the Warner Brothers Studios and Paramount Studios. Um, and we went to um, this place called Tam O'Shanter for dinner. If you've never been there, it's the uh, place where Walt Disney and his animators used to eat lunch every day because the uh, Disney Studios was down the street and did not have a cafeteria. So they would go there, and you can sit at table 31 and see some of their drawings uh, etched into the table, which we were able to do. So that was a really cool experience. We're not like diehard Disney people, but it's a cool kind of little local history place as well. So um, that was really great. So we got to celebrate a decade married and many more years to come. So very, very excited about that. And, um, I mean, cat's out of the bag at this point on this, uh, but also we are pregnant with our third baby. So, uh, we are due in February. So if you could pray for my wife and, and I and our family, that would be very, very much appreciated. So, um, we've told a lot of people, we haven't announced it on social media or anything yet, but you know, whoever asks, they know, you know, we're not hiding it or anything. So, uh, please pray for us. We really appreciate all of your prayers. So, uh, my junk, uh, first off is... These today and the last time I recorded my podcast, you may have noticed some weird cuts because it keeps uh, telling me system overload and stops recording for some reason. So hopefully I get the whole episode in. I caught it last time, not too late, but I had to re-record some stuff. 
So I'm watching it very closely this time. So I apologize if there's any weird jagged cuts. Um, but other junk, um, you know, very tired. You know, um, anytime you go on vacation, it sometimes feels you need a vacation from your vacation. We definitely took it easy. We did a lot, but we we had nice relaxed paced days. But adjusting back to a very go 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 routine of work and kids and all of that is always an adjustment. So, um, but it's it's not too bad. Obviously, as I have nothing really to complain about. But um, this week is also very busy because all of my meetings that would have fallen on last week got pushed to this week. So uh, it's a little bit of a crazy, chaotic, adjusting week, but it's okay. You know, God is good and, you know, life is good. So, um, yeah. My Jesus moment, it's kind of a funny moment, is um, it was a little reminder that, like, God's goodness is everywhere and there are reminders of him everywhere. And so when we were at, where were we going? We were at Paramount Studios to go on the studio tour. And we tried to go in in what I didn't know was the employee gate. And we had to pass through um, some SAG-AFTRA strikers who are, if you've heard about the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild strike that's going on right now with the writers, they were, um, it might be over by the time you hear this, but that was happening at this time last week. And so they were kind of picketing in front and they were being very respectful. Once the light crosswalk was closed, they moved out of the way. They allowed employees to come in and out. But they were very visible and very animated and loud and, you know, doing their thing and, you know, fighting for proper payment and um, what's the word? Recognition of their work, which they should absolutely get. Um, so we had to go past them. And I was I was really focused on trying to go to figure out where I was going. I didn't know where this tour was. And so um, I ended up going in the wrong gate. And so I had to turn around and I was coming back out and I saw uh, the crosswalk was open. So they were all picketing across. And right in the middle of the crosswalk was one of these strikers dressed as Jesus. And he was just holding up one of his SAG signs. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a Jesus in the, in the striker, or in the, in the strikers. And then uh, the light turned green and they were getting out of the crosswalk and Jesus looked like he was staying in the middle. And the organizer was like, get out of the crosswalk, people have to go. And so Jesus goes and he goes in front of my car as I'm trying to go forward. And he like, he sees me and he like stops. And I was, I was far away from him. I wasn't like about to hit him, but I was going. So I had to like break. And the organizer was like, don't get hit, Jesus. I don't know if you could come back a third time. And I just thought that was very, I don't know, it was very funny. I laughed pretty hard, like way too hard, more, more than I should have probably in the moment. It just kind of caught me off, caught me off guard. But I don't know. It's a nice reminder that like weird reminders of Jesus are everywhere. The joy of the Lord is everywhere. You just have to look for it. So Anyway, I hope that blesses you. Um, but if it doesn't, that's what this episode is for, hopefully. So this Sunday is the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Um, so we're going to look at the second reading for this Sunday, which comes from Romans chapter 11. It's verses 13 through 15, and then skipping to verses 29 to 32. Uh, we've talked a lot about the book of Romans. You can listen to previous episodes about what it is and what it entails. But Paul is writing to the church in Rome, a very multicultural, backgrounded church of Jewish and Gentile Christians trying to figure out what it means to be Christian and how to function as um, a church. So he's writing to them, and this is what he says. Romans 11, he writes, Brothers and sisters, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I glory in my ministry in order to make my race jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. 
just as you once disobeyed God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. So they have now disobeyed in order that by virtue of the mercy shown to you, they too might, may now receive mercy. For God delivered all to disobedience that we might have mercy upon, that he might have mercy upon all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is writing here. He's talking about the fact that he is a Jew and he went to minister to the Jews first. He always tries to start with his Jewish brothers and sisters, but they always they're, they're, have the tendency to reject this message that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he'll turn to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Christians or the non-Jewish people, and they'll respond in hordes to this message of the good news. And so they are responding to this gift that was preserved by the Jews, and now they are preserving it so that future Jews might come to know it. And so he's just talking about kind of that reality. But the phrases that, that stick out to me it was when he says, make my race jealous. And then when he points out that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. And to the first point, it just made me ask the question, are people jealous of my faith? Now, I, I don't say that in a way where I'm trying to provoke sinful jealousy or I'm trying to make it about me or prideful or to appear a certain way so that others will pay attention to me or like me or follow me on social media. Like I'm not gallivanting my faith around for attention. But the way we live our faith should be in such a way that it is impossible for others not to notice the joy and the supernatural effect of God in our life. We're all hungry for God. We're just looking to fill that hunger in different places. And a lot of people look to the things of this world relationships, um, addictions, sin, food, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. And they think that will save them money, success, power. But ultimately, the only thing that will fulfill and satisfy us is God, because we were made by God for God. We're made in his image and likeness. And sin distorted that. And so the only way we can come back to our complete and full, right-ordered, created like self, who we were created to be, is to realign ourselves with God the Father and turn away from sin. And so when we do that, others will take notice. Like it will be this very grace-inducing, overflowing kind of mentality where people will look at us. And maybe you've had this experience in your life where you notice other people who have this faith that is just so attractive. They have these personalities that are so magnetic and so awe-inspiring that you're just like, I want to be like that person. I want what they have. Do you have a faith like that? Does your faith in Jesus Christ compel others to think that or say that about you? Because it's supposed to. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Whatever gifts you will have, even if you feel like I only have one small gift or I have a lot, all of it is supposed to make others aware of the supernatural work of God in us and make them desire that for themselves. So when Paul goes on to say the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable, it's a reminder that you cannot escape God's desires for you. They will not change. It's just a matter of whether or not you accept and respond to them. And when we do accept and respond to them, we, we live into this reality that God created us to live in that's so counter what the world is pursuing that we look radically different. And when it brings us this ultimate joy, this ultimate fulfillment, that's what everyone's looking for. People take notice. Some will reject us. Some will criticize us because they're, they're self-conscious. They uh, feel threatened. They feel like their inauthentic faith is threatened by our authentic faith. Like there's a lot of reasons why people might lash out. But 
people will respond and they'll be jealous and jealousy can be good and it can be bad. You know, jealousy can make us like wish those people didn't have those things and tear them apart or can make us aspire to be like other people. We're, we're often jealous of the things it seems everyone else has. And that can be a trap for us because what, what seeing someone else who's faithful inspires in us should not be, I need to be exactly like them. It should be, I need to lean into the unique things God has given me that will make others jealous for the kingdom. I can't be as good as that person at being that person. I can't be as good as good a Sally as Sally can be when she's using her God-given gifts. But no one else can be better than me at utilizing the gifts God has given me. Nobody else. I have a unique combination of gifts, a unique set of circumstances. I live in a unique time and place. Only I can do the things that God is calling me to do. And if I'm spending my entire life trying to be like everybody else and being jealous of them to try to be like them, then I'm treating that jealousy, that desire, or that, that feeling I'm noticing in the wrong way. What it should compel me to do is ask, what is it about them that I desire? What is it about them that I'm seeking? How can I go find that for myself? Maybe I talk to them, I ask them, how did you find it? How did you respond? How did you know what your gifts were? Ask people around me, what do you think my gifts are? Where have you seen me really thrive? Where have you seen me really joyful and in my element? Where have you seen me just excel in a way that, you know, uh, surpasses the other people around me? So there's a twofold idea here about this jealousy. Someone can be jealous of us because it's, you know, that's appealing because of the way it looks. You know, this you can think of Instagram, like, oh my gosh, I see this on Instagram all the time. Like people posting about their experiences, their vacations, even parenting accounts, posting about things they make or do for their kids. And I see that and I'm like, oh, wow, that'd be really nice to be able to do that. Or, or look that way to other people. But am I really getting to the heart of what I'm noticing and inspired by? What I'm inspired by is parents taking the initiative to really authentically love their family or do incredible, create incredible experiences and activities for their family. I can do that in my own way. But if I'm just trying to be like them, I'm being jealous in the wrong way. Or these things that, that jealousy we notice well up in us we might see something in someone else that's appealing because it taps into that part of us that's looking for God, but is looking everywhere else. That's the part we want to pay attention to. That's the reason why it's appealing to us. That person has something I don't have. I'm not going to get it the way that they got it. I'm not going to respond to it the way that they responded, but I know there's something they have that I want. So how do I find that for myself? It's not to provoke pride in us or to allow us to gain attention for ourselves. This is an exploration of our unique gifts and charisms, leaning into them and directing them towards God's supernatural plans so that we can live in this joy he created us for. People will criticize us, but most criticism, as I said, it's, it, you know when you're criticized, it's either clearly constructive and helpful or it's coming from a place of the other person's pain or insecurity. Either way, what we can do, we can receive it and we can pray. We can either pray for our own growth when the criticism is actually good and clear and, and warranted, or we can pray for the other person and for healing for them. You can pray in gratitude for what someone is willing to go out on a limb to tell us that might be difficult for us to hear. And we can pray that the other person will know their gifts if they're criticizing us from a, from a hurt place. When, we, when we're authentically exercising our God-given mission, and if we're 
we're living our faith with the boldness we're called to live it, others will notice. They will notice. It's inevitable. What we need to do, we need to work toward the most fruitful result of them noticing as possible. So we can't give people the excuse to write us off, to um, to relegate this to a fling or to explain it away because of bad things that we've done. We have to try and live up to the example that we are setting. And so I think there's 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 three reasons why we don't like this. We don't like the attention or we don't like to be criticized. We don't like what this idea of making other people jealous might bring to us. And so there are three ways that we can be aware of how we might fight those off and still respond to this call to have a faith that is attractive. And the first insecurity about this, I think, is that we don't want other people to write us off. We don't want other people to write us off to call us a hypocrite. And so what can you do to ensure that doesn't happen? You need to live a moral life and you need to be open and honest when you mess up. And don't just say, yeah, no, I'm living in this but you need to be willing to correct it. You know, if you're if you're saying you're trying to live the moral life, but you're sleeping with your girlfriend or living with them, like that's that's against what the church teaches. That's against what Jesus taught. And so we need to be willing to say like, no, I need to live up to the moral standard that I'm setting and not be a hypocrite. If I want people to not to write me off, I can't give them a reason to. And when I mess up, I need to be the first to admit and not wait for someone else to figure it out and point it out. Okay? Secondly, we don't want it to be about us. We need to stay humble. We need to direct all glory and attention to God. This is not about leading people closer to us. Any attention, attraction that we get from others, anything that anyone notices always needs to be directed back to God and to that individual person. Why did you notice this? What did this speak to in you? What can? What is the Lord calling out in you? Make the focus on their experience, not about how great you seem to them. And we just don't like to be criticized. That's the last thing. We don't want to be criticized. And what we need to do, we need to expect criticism. And we need to have a strategy to make that criticism fruitful. Okay, this is there's wisdom in the church. Like when you read Matthew 18, uh, uh, verses 15 to 17, the section on fraternal correction, where a brother goes to correct another brother, it's built into this to make sure that this criticism is valid and fruitful. Listen to this. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. Okay, so that's fruitful criticism. Someone comes to you in private. It's not online. It's not this big public thing. They're not gossiping about you. We have to be wary of this also. When we see others whose faith is attractive to us, we can't start to pick them apart. We think there's something wrong. If we have a problem with them, we need to go tell them. I think I mentioned this on the podcast, but I, lo- I love this line. I was watching an interview with Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man. And he was quoting uh, someone, I think he attributed this to Christian Bale, but he said, like, um, if someone has a problem with you, like, you you have to have this mentality, like, if you have a problem with me, call me and talk to me about it. And if you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. And there's wisdom in scripture about that as well, that you need to know the person well enough as their brother or sister in Christ to be able to go to them privately. And if you can't do that, then you have no business criticizing them. You don't know them well enough. You don't know the whole story. But if you do, and they listen, you've won them over. But if they don't listen, then it says, take one or two others along with you so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is the genius line. You are not taking witnesses with you to prove to them, look, I told this person what they're doing is wrong and they're not listening. You're taking two witnesses with you to make sure what you are saying is valid. You might be the one in the wrong. The person criticizing might be the one in the wrong. 
And so we need to take witnesses to corroborate the observations that we're making. And again, we have to know the person well enough. And so you have to judge if someone's coming at you because they're having this experience of being jealous of the faith that you have, judge the relationship. Do I really know this person? You know, to be able to respectfully say like, you know, I, I, I can, I, I regret that you, you know, have interpreted my actions that way. Um, but I have to tell you, you and I don't know each other at all well enough for you to, uh, to have a problem with me. Like you, you don't know me at all. You know, uh, I, I have, I have no knowledge of you and your, and you know, your relationship with God, your faith to criticize you, to be able to call that out in love and recognize like this is, this is unfounded, but we have to be open to the fact that we're going to be criticized. People will notice us when we're living out of our gifts because the call and the gifts of God, they're irrevocable. We cannot turn them off. We cannot put them away. We can, sure, we can diminish them. We cannot utilize them. But what good, of, what good is that to the kingdom of God? And what good is that to us? God wants us to live in this abundant joy and to bring that joy to the church. And so this wisdom is built in to the church's kind of teaching on fraternal correction, making sure that we when we see others whose faith is attractive, we interpret that charitably. We allow it to inspire us. We don't get insecure and start to criticize. And then we recognize if we're living out our own gifts in the way that we're supposed to, people will notice and they will respond. And we cannot give them a reason to write us off. We cannot make it about us. And we cannot have fear of criticism because criticism will always come. We have to expect it and have a strategy to make it fruitful. So accept what is fruitful. Pray for healing for the the people who give criticism that is not fruitful because it's obviously coming from a place of pain, insecurity, or suffering. Okay, In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, In fact, all who want to live religiously in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who want to live religiously in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if your faith is not eliciting responses from others, you're not living it wildly enough. You're not living it boldly enough. Again, we don't do this for attention. We don't do this for their response, but it is a litmus test of whether or not we're living with the radical abundance and boldness that God calls us to and whether or not we are making waves in the body of Christ because of the grace at work in us by using the gifts God has given us. The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. We should be able to make our brothers and sisters jealous in a good way to inspire them to deeper holiness and to keep us accountable to live the moral life, to not make it about us, and to expect criticism and treat that fruitfully, to expect persecution, to pray in gratitude when people criticize us and correct us when it is from the Lord, and to pray for others when it's clear that their hurt, their pain, their insecurity is coming to the surface, and it, it erupts in this unfounded sort of criticism. So we have to have a holy idea of jealousy. And when we do that, we need to ask ourselves, is my faith others something others can be jealous of? Are others jealous of my faith? Does it inspire them to deeper holiness? Does it elicit a response in them? If it's good, great. Let it not be about me. Let it inspire them to deeper faith. If it's bad, great. Let it be an opportunity for me to learn or for me to pray for them so that they will learn that it's not about me. Let me not give them an excuse to write it off. Let me live a moral and good life. And let me treat it all as grace, as gift. The apostles, the early disciples, the early church was not always received well. They knew, as 2 Timothy said, all who want to live religiously in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect that it comes with the territory. 
and do not let it prevent you from living your faith with boldness, a boldness that should make others take notice, it should inspire them, it should make them jealous for what you have found that they may not yet have found. Let it always be about that. Let it always be about Jesus and not about how we look worshiping Jesus. So I pray that blesses you in your own life, causes some opportunity for self-reflection about your own practice of faith, and also the tendency we might have to jump too quickly to the criticism of others or to write off um, the criticism we might receive from others and not see it as an opportunity for learning or for prayer. That's all I have for you this week, my brothers and sisters. Until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless you.